Our text came from the Gospel according to Luke in the 10th chapter, and beginning at the 25th verse, it says, And a lawyer stood up, a lawyer stood up and put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. Now let me go back. And a lawyer stood up. Then it says, but wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by as well on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. Amen. Pastor Chuck Swindoll, if you may have heard of him, told a story about his brother who was discharged from the Navy and was driving back to Kansas during a very, very cold, wintry night. On his way home, he stopped and he picked up a hitchhiker who was getting off in Oklahoma. Even though their father had told them not to do such a thing, he did it anyway. He eventually led the stranger, the hitchhiker, to the Savior. And as the hitchhiker was about to get out the car and to leave, Chuck's brother asked the hitchhiker, he said, do you have a coat? Because it was, as I told you, a cold, wintry night. He told him he didn't need one. Because, you know, sometimes when people ask you if you need help, we have a tendency to pretend as if we don't need any. On a cold, wintry night, everybody needs a coat. So he told him he didn't need one. And, and Chuck's brother said, nah, 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 you need a coat. So he gave him his own expensive pea jacket. You know, the ones that have the elbow things on it. Very expensive jacket. He, he, he gave it to him. On his way leaving, the hitchhiker turns to Chuck's brother and he says, I never met anyone like you. When Chuck's brother got home, his father greeted him and they had a great reunion. And his dad was going through his stuff like dads do. <laughs> and he said to him, where's your pea jacket? Where's your pea jacket? And, and he, the son responded, I gave it away. His dad said, to who? I don't remember his name, but I'll see him again someday. I really appreciated this story on many levels because it helped me to, off, to sometimes reflect on the ways that God has blessed me 
and how, he, how that blessing that God has given to me can be of service to someone else. The fact of the matter is that that, that that was a hitchhiker and he couldn't even remember his name. This meant that the act of kindness that Chuck's brother gave to this hitchhiker had absolutely nothing to do with who the hitchhiker was. You see, sometimes when we're doing good for others, we tend to do it because of who the other is. But when you get to the place where you recognize that the value in a person is far greater than their station in life, then you give of yourself in ways that means that even defies logic. The jacket was expensive. But I like what the brother said. He says, I don't know his name because it doesn't matter. But I will meet him again someday. Now that may be in glory or not. But the point is you must make deposits in the lives of people. Not based on who they are. But based solely on what God has blessed you to be for them. Whether you know them or not. It had everything to do with him giving away something costly simply because someone else could use it more than him. So it's with this thought in mind that I want to speak briefly from the subject, our good neighbor. Let me first begin by setting up the context of this parable. Jesus had previously sent his 70 disciples out into various towns that he himself was planning to visit. Jesus had 70 disciples, and he sent them out two by two to go into the towns and to bring word before he got there. And he gave them strict instructions that they were not to enter into just any house, but whenever they enter into a house, they're supposed to say, peace be unto this house. Now, now, he also says, you're not just to move from house to house, house to house, house to house. He says, just go to the houses I send you, and, if you're, and when you walk in, you speak peace to that house. Now, if they don't receive you, kick the dust off of your feet and leave. These were the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples. Now, the 70, when they, when they, it's interesting, when you go out with a message that God has given to you, providing it is God that gave you the message, you're able to do greater things than if you had gone by yourself. Something is different when God sends you on a mission and you do what God has asked you to do. So the disciples, they went out and they went from house to house. Now, what was interesting, Reverend Jacobs, is that when they got to these houses, they were finding all kinds of things, people who were demon possessed and all these stuff. And they got excited. Now, 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 when they got excited, they came back to Jesus and they go, wow, Jesus, guess what? Even the demons flee when we call your name. You see, you must be careful because when you go in your own strength, demons know whether or not you're coming with the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. See, I never just lay hands on people just because I want to look holy. If God didn't tell me to lay hands on you, I ain't touching you. But there is something divine that happens when you move the way God has asked you to move. Demons flee because they recognize the Spirit of God in you. But they also recognize the Spirit of, that is not of God in you as well. So you must be careful. So the disciples come back, the 70 of them, and they're excited, Reverend Minson, and they go, even the demons flee when we call your name. And Jesus said, yo, chill. You know, this is how Jesus talks, to me anyway. He says, listen, don't get excited 
that demons flee in your name. Don't get excited by the power and the demonstrations of all of the wonderful gifts that I may have given to you. Be excited about the fact that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, so, so Jesus is, 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 is admonishing his disciples in this way and he then turns around and then he says a prayer and he thanks God for the revelation power that came to these disciples. He turned to them and he started telling them and he said, and I love this, Jesus then turns to his disciples and he said, listen, all those prophets, Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jonah and Amos and Matt, all these prophets dreamed of this day that they would be able to see what you are seeing. So there is this moment that Jesus is having an intimate moment with his disciples, and he wants them to appreciate the gravity of what has transpired. Listen, I don't know about you, but every time I do something amazing for God, I just want to celebrate and jump and shout. But, but Jesus says, don't miss the moment, because what you are able to do right now, believe me, even Moses wanted to see this. Abraham wanted to see this. But you now are after the rest. You are getting ready for the resurrection power, but you are here with me now. So the disciples are fired up. And excited. And out of nowhere, here comes Johnny Lawyer. You always get a Johnny Lawyer whenever you're in the midst of a miraculous situation. Every time something positive is going on in your lives, young people, pay attention carefully. Because there's always going to be someone who's going to come and challenge the authenticity of your testimony. So the lawyer comes up and he's like, all, you know, all happy. But then he says to Jesus, you know, <laughs> what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's go back to it. The lawyer stood up to do what? To test Jesus. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? Since you're a lawyer, let's look at what's written in the law. And the lawyer says, well... It says, you shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, go do what it says. You're a lawyer. Follow the law. Do what the law says. But then the, the, the lawyer wasn't satisfied. So he says, well, then who is my neighbor? Which is a very powerful question. There are multiple levels of this text. And I've often said to this congregation, the Bible speaks to us in three ways. Number one, it speaks to us literally, meaning that the stories, in the case of when you read different stories in the Bible, there is something that actually happened. That's the literal interpretation of the Bible. The Bible also speaks to us symbolically. And finally, it speaks to us spiritually. What we have here is Jesus telling a parable, which means he's using symbolic language to speak something spiritual that is truth. So the lawyer wants to know, you know, what, 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 who is my neighbor? Now, I'm reminded of another young man who came to Jesus and challenged Jesus and said, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Right. And Jesus said to him, well, go sell all your stuff. Because what happened was, when Jesus asked him, he said, Jesus said, you know, what does the, what does the book say? And he went through it, the Ten Commandments, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. He went through all of it, and Jesus says, well, one thing you lack. 
Because he said, I did all these things from my birth. Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go sell all your stuff and then come follow me. And the text tells us the man went away brokenhearted. Now, the reason why I bring up that story is because both men asked Jesus the same question. But Jesus' response was different to each of them. For one, it's go do what the law says. And the other one, it was go sell all your stuff. Jesus will always take you to the place that you do not often want to go. You see, with the other man, his stuff had him. He didn't have Jesus. So Jesus says, go sell all your stuff and, 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 and come back and follow me. It went so far that the disciples then said, oh my gosh, who then can be saved? Jesus said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter into eternal life. In other words, what is impossible, though, for God, for man, is possible for God. But there's a lot going on there, and we're not, we're not analyzing that scripture. I want to stay here for the moment. You see, he didn't tell this lawyer to go sell his stuff. He told him to what? To go follow the law. Then he said, but who is my neighbor? So Jesus tells him a parable. The reason why the lawyer asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, is because he had an expectation that Jesus was going to tell him that your neighbor is every person who keeps the law. Hear me clearly. I want you to understand what I'm saying. Whenever you ask questions like that, you reveal what's going on in your heart. Who is my neighbor? Jesus. Because I know that I've kept the law, and I know all of the people who's kept the law, so I need you, Jesus, to affirm what I believe to be true. So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. For some of us, we may have learned something in school. Some of us, we may have had some great experiences in the past regarding certain situations. And because we have achieved and accomplished certain things in our lives, we believe it gives us the right and the authority on a particular subject. You think you know more than everyone else simply because you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a doctorate or because you're a city council person or because you're a pastor. You think you have arrived and you know more than everybody else. There is something wrong with this lawyer because he's a little high-minded. And in his high-mindedness, he doesn't realize who he is talking to. So you come with all of your education, not realizing that you're talking to the master teacher. So Jesus is going to take you to the place that you need to go because you clearly don't know who you are talking to. You see, who is my neighbor was a test for Jesus. And, and, and hear me clearly. Be very mindful of all those who are talking about keeping the law. You see, there are some right now that are saying, well, well, they have to keep the law or they're not allowed in the country. You got to keep the law. So the question, who is my neighbor, is being asked even right now in these United States. Is my neighbor someone seeking asylum or is my neighbor someone who is fleeing political and economic persecution? Is my neighbor someone who is in need of something that I have? Is someone out there in need of my expensive coat that I am refusing? 
to give to someone else. I don't know if you're hearing me, but the same question that the lawyer is asking is the same question that is being asked right now. And God is watching. He's paying close attention to those who seem seem to want to lord what they have. This earth is the Lord and the fullness of it, the world, and they that dwell therein. Be careful that you misappropriate what God has given you a few moments to enjoy. Who is my neighbor is the question that God is asking the United States today. They're rapists. They bring drugs. They bring crime. Now, I'm not knocking anybody. I'm just simply saying, what's your answer to the question? Not to the heads of state of the United States or even South Africa. The question I'm asking is, who do you say your neighbor is? For you may not have control over borders. You may not have control over all of the resources of the government, but you have control over your own pea jacket. You have control over your willingness to say yes when someone asks you for something that is in your power to give. So we don't need to go to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. We only need to come down Franklin Avenue. Because when you think that what you have is you, you deserve to have, because you have any special favor in God's kingdom, be very, very careful. The master teacher is in the building. So Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. I'm not going to go through the whole story, but you know the story. The man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Robbers intercepted him. They hurt him. A priest walked by and ignored him. A Levite walked by and ignored him. But a Samaritan, and the Bible is clear that it was a Samaritan that actually helped him. Now, you must understand who the Samaritans were. Because for the Jewish people at the time, the, the, the Jewish people from the tribe of Ephraim, who were at the northern part of the kingdom, they got actually infiltrated, if I can use such a word, by the Assyrians who started to marry and intermarry with the Jewish people in that region of Samaria. And what ended up happening is when you, when you start to, to, to open the door for other things other than what the Lord your God has taught you, you have set yourself up now for something other than what God intended. I don't know if you're hearing what I'm saying, but they started to worship false gods because they were allowing the culture of the time to interfere with the culture in the church. You're allowing everything that's going on in the world to start to come into the church. God says, I have a standard. This is the way that I am, I am, I must be seen as holy. But we decide that it's okay to bring the profane to the holy and to the sacred. So all of that is going on. And so the Jews from Judah who saw these, 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 these folks from the north, their brothers and sisters from the north, they didn't like them anymore because they were not quite following the rules and keeping God's commandments. Are you with me? So the Samaritans are like any group of people that you don't really like for whatever reason. Black, white, green, yellow, pink, or polka dot. They may have measles or mumps, I don't know. But, but the point that I'm making, the point I'm making is when you start to ostracize people because of one reason or another, you are starting to treat them as Samaritans. 
See? Now, 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 I, I work in a hospital, um, and I remember hearing a story told that there was this man that was so extremely racist. I mean, he just hated everything about Mexicans. Your mind went somewhere else, but anyway. And so what happened was he needed a liver. He needed a liver transplant. Now, you see where the story is going, right? Because when you're in your most desperate of conditions, if a cat's liver could work, give it to me. Make it work. If a pig's liver can work, make it work. All of a sudden, Mexicans are okay. I like the Mexicans. The point I'm making is the Samaritan was a hated group of people. He was the only one because the priest was expected to care for the man from Jerusalem. The Levite was expected to care for the man from Jerusalem because it was his very own. But the person you least expected is the one that came to your aid. And the Bible tells us that he wrapped him up in his own bandages and poured his own oil and wine, put him on his own beast, took him to an inn, paid the innkeeper, and said, whatever more is required, let me know, and I will cover it. In other words, this man, who would probably tell me every, to where to stick my head from sunup to sundown, this man who is most undeserving of any good thing that he would ever say to me. This man who would treat me like an animal. This man who would treat me like a dog. This man who, if he weren't broken in this ditch, wouldn't even give me the time of day. This man, I'm going to give my pea jacket to. You see what I'm saying? God looks at the heart. The heart. And as I said before, every one of us is created in the image of God. And we have no idea what God has in store. So, so let me hurry along. This is who you and I are. Broken, in despair, distraught, tired and exhausted, feeling defeated. We are not the good Samaritan in the story. We are the one that's broken at the side of the road. Yes. Jerusalem represents the city of peace. And from going from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is the world, symbolically, remember the Bible speaks to us symbolically, going from the goodness of God to the world, in that process, you become even more broken. You become hurt. You become destroyed. You end up lying in a ditch. But thanks be to God that there is a good Samaritan that hung himself high on Calvary's cross. You see, this Samaritan, they spat on him. This particular Samaritan, they pierced his side. This particular Samaritan, they abused him and ridiculed him. One day they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. The next day they're shouting, crucify, crucify. But he took you up on his own beast, on himself. And he washed you in his blood. 
with oil and wine, with the Holy Spirit, and with that great communion, he brings you into fellowship with himself. And by so doing, he, 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 he wrapped you up and he made you into something because you were the ones and I were the ones that were shouting, crucify that Samaritan as well. But thanks be to God that that's what Jesus did for every single one of you and me in this room. He is our good Samaritan. And that's why I titled this message, Our Good Samaritan. For we don't understand what it took for him to pick each and every one of us up in the midst of our despair and in the midst of our pain. That is who he is. He brings us back to pieces when we were most broken. When we were in despair, he brought us hope. When we were in darkness, he brought us light. When we had sadness, he interjected joy. And where we have doubt, he gives us faith. So what then is our responsibility? What then is our charge? What then must you and I do knowing that what Christ did for us, we did not deserve? What then should we do? What coat? What book? What stuff? What money? What car? What it is that you need to surrender so that someone else can be introduced to the master. I'll close with Matthew, the 25th chapter and the 32nd verse. Yes, when the Son of Man comes in his glory all and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, Samaritans and, 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 and Egyptians and Hebrews and South Africans and United States of Americans and Jamaicans and Haitians and you can go down the list. They're all going to be gathered before him, but he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father take your inheritance the kingdom of God prepared for you since the creation of the world for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in I needed clothes and you clothed me I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will say, Master, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or even needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Jesus wants you to be like him. Jesus wants you to love like him. Jesus wants you to take off your pea jacket and give it to someone else like him. For as you do it unto others, you've done it unto him. So my message is clear. Can you be... A good neighbor? Well, maybe. Maybe. Who is your neighbor? I don't know. These are all the questions that we have. So I will say this to you if you are unsure. Know that, under, do understand that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. And he has always been our good neighbor. Even before we even thought we deserved it. Jesus is all that matters. He is the only one that matters. And if you have Jesus in your heart, then you can't help but be a good neighbor to someone else. Why? Because the love of God will flow in you and through you. And that is how we change the world. May God richly bless you, my beloved.